Well, the Word of God is powerful. In fact, it's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It goes right to the heart of the issue. It never comes back void, but accomplishes its purpose. It is truth. We've seen all of those things when you think about the Word. Well, let's think about that God has made himself known to people. What, uh, the, the, the first thing is the idea that God has, has revealed himself to us, revelation. He's done it in a lot of ways. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself through angels and through visions and through dreams and through prophets, sometimes verbal. It'll say, and the Lord said to Noah, the Lord said, so he just made himself known. Sometimes verbal or much, oftentimes verbal, sometimes even written. I want you to know that revelation, the simple, just the word revelation, people talk about revelation, it is God making himself known in all kind of different ways. But there's another term you need to know, and that's inspiration. And inspiration is God making himself known in written form. This, the Bible is inspiration. That's why it'll say all Scripture is inspired by God, which means God breathed. It's a written form. So God has revealed himself in different ways throughout history, but he's also revealed himself in a written form. We call that inspiration. And so all of us have a copy. We have the Scripture in our hands. We have the inspired Word of God. So we have the Bible in written form. It is alive. It is powerful. It is truth. It is always accomplished its purpose. It never comes back. But what is always profitable... So what are we to do with the Word of God? Well, Ezra said that he, was, he purposed in his heart that he would study the Word, that he would apply it, and then he would teach it to others. And that's really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to dig the Word of God, study it, get it in our minds, understand it, then make application in our lives. And as we're living out what we know to be true, we're to be passionate on teaching it to other people. The Second Timothy 2.2, 2, take the things that we've been taught and trust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others. Well, this evening we're going to see Noah's response to God's Word to him. That's not in written form. It's not in written form. God commanded Noah, and Noah responded. How? What does he do? We'll see Noah obeys the Bible. He obeys God's word. So let's begin. Now, what we've been doing, we've been seeing this, the, the ark. We saw the dimensions. We saw that God came to him. And in fact, I, I gave a little review. And if you want to look at verse, verse 8 of Genesis 6, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord had looked down and he saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every thought and intent of man was evil and, and all this. And God says, I'm going to blot out mankind. But then it said, but Noah found grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 said, the, the, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. That means he had believed God and had accounted to him for righteousness. He was blameless in his time. That means he lived righteously and godly. And Noah walked with God. He maintained his fellowship with God. Only two people in the Old Testament are said to be walking with God. And Noah, of course, one of them. Noah became the father of three sons, Ham, Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it talks about the corruptness of the earth. But we saw that that God said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy the earth. Verse 13, the Lord said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. And so we saw that God commanded him to build this 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 box. See, when we think of the ark, it says, oh, a little boat. Well, it wasn't a little boat, and it wasn't really a boat. It was a box. When you think of the ark of the covenant, and you realize the ark of the covenant was a box that uh, was was wooden, covered over with gold, with a solid gold lid, with two cherubim, two angels on it. So it was an ark. It was a box. Well, the ark, which we think about Noah getting on, was a was a was a big box. Is basically what it was. If you start looking at the dimensions, it was huge. And that's what we're going to look at. We're gonna, let me remind you. We saw last time concerning the ark. We raised these six questions. How big was the ark? What did it look like? That's, that, how big was it? Second, could all the animals fit on the ark? And that was a question people have. This: How could all the animals in the world get on the ark? Well, it wasn't all the animals. There was only two animals of all the, uh, in the world, and just all the different kinds. The third question we looked at: Did all the animals 
get on the ark, did they? And then number four, how could Noah do this? How could he go out and get all those animals and bring that there? The fifth question was, how long were they on the ark, and how could they make it, was the sixth question. And with those, we, we answered it last week, and we went through it. How big was the ark and what it looked like? Well, if you look at verse 15, this is how she shall make the ark. The ark will be 300 cubits uh, long. Its, 50, uh, its breadth was 50 cubits, as high as 30 cubits. It was 450 feet long, 45 feet uh, uh, high, and about 75 feet wide. Now, we talked about this last time. We said this auditorium, I think I'm right. I'm, I'm real close to them, I'm not right. When we built the auditorium, I think this is about 100, and fe- about 100 feet. Well, this thing is 450 feet long. So it's four times longer than this whole building, this room. If you said this room, say, okay, that's the end of the boat, and this is the, the start of the boat. No, no, that's the end of the boat, but go four times on down that way, and that's how big this big box was. So when you start thinking about this thing, it wasn't a little ship. It was huge. It was like an ocean liner, except it was a barge. It probably was a flat bottom. It was square. It had three different levels on it. The second question was, uh, could all the animals fit on there? And the answer was yes. We figured it out last week. We take all the things of, uh, you know, anything that's even extinct, and we looked at it and put two of every kind, and we basically figured that it might not even fill up 40% of the ark, all the animals getting on there and all of that. The third question was, did they all get on the ark? And the answer was no. Not all the animals in the world got on the ark. Only those that had the breath of life in them. If they were sea animals and those kind of things that didn't need to breathe or didn't need that, that protection, they made it fine. The fourth question is, how did Noah do this? How could he get those animals? And the truth is, he didn't get those animals. God brought the animals to him. He, he talks about it in, in several places where it says, and, and, and they will come to you and I will bring them to you. The fifth question was, how long were they on the ark? And, and I said last week, and I taught 370 days, and that's true, but it's actually 377 days because they get on the ark a week before the flood starts. So they're on the ark for seven days. Then the flood starts, and he starts marking it there. So it's 370 days from the time the rain starts until they go off, but they were on a, a week before. So it's total 377 days on the ark. And the question was, how in the world could they make it for over a year on the ark, and we said, because chapter 8, verse 1 says, God remembered Noah. He remembered him. And it was a supernatural thing, the way he took care of them. And, and we'll talk about it as we, in just a minute. I mean, did, did the animals, I mean, were they hibernating on there? What, what, how did he do that? And it, it's sort of amazing. Well, let's think about the dimensions again. Look again at verse 15. Uh, it says, this is how you shall make it. Here's how you're going to make this big box. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits. That's 450 feet. Its breadth will be 50 cubits. That's uh, 75 feet. And its height will be 30, 30 cubits. That's 45 feet. So we, we got the measurements. It's, it's big. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, which like almost five stories tall. I mean, just picture this thing. And... Uh, uh, the movie Evan Almighty, they, he built an ark, and all the animals came, and, and Hazel brought it, said, hey, you want to watch this movie, don't you? And I said, thanks, Hazel, but I don't, but I did. And, and it was actually, actually pretty good. But I don't think the ark that they built in Evan Almighty was, is as big, near as big as what the ark that Noah actually built. Now, I thought it was amazing if you saw the movie and you saw all the animals coming and following him and going onto the ark. That's probably, I, I picture, that's sort of what it was probably like. They just came. And I think it's the most amazing thing that he didn't say, i oh, got to go kiss those two squirrels. You know, he didn't have to do that. They just came because that's what it says. And we'll talk more about it in a minute. But it was, it was just huge. I mean, picture a football field. You stand at a football stadium and you say it's, a football field is 300, you know, 300 feet. 
this is 450 feet long. So it's like a football field and another football field, you know, you know, and a half another one. It was just huge, huge. Then he goes on and says in verse 16, You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top, and you shall set the door of the ark in the side of it, and you shall make it with a lower and a second and third deck. Now, we talked about this last week. When people see that, sometimes they think, Oh, yeah, here's this huge ship, and they got a little window in it somewhere. No, that window is about 18 inches from the top going all the way around, which was the window for ventilation. And we talked about it last week in the old days when I went to school, when I was in junior high. We didn't now, this is in Mississippi. We didn't have air conditioning in our gyms, but you had windows up all along the top, all the way around, and the ventilation came through. That's how they did it. And this is what that ark was. Because, you know, you can imagine all the animals and Noah and everything that could have happened in that year time period. And so you're going to need some ventilation. And that's what that window was for. It says there's a door. There was the door. There's, the door is in the side. And the door is really a picture of Jesus Christ. Because, see, you had, to, you had to go in the door. There was only one door in. There was only one way to get into the ark. And that's the way you had to go in. Well, that's really a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. The only door to salvation, the only door to the Father is Jesus Christ. And that's why when people say things like, well, you know, I have my God, Jesus, I like Jesus, and, but, but there's other ways to God and all this. Listen, I say, no, wait a minute. You, you believe that Jesus is your Savior? You believe he's the way? Well, yeah. Well, then you can't believe these other ways. You can't believe there's other ways because your Savior taught exactly the opposite. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father except through me. There's no other way of salvation. There's only one God and one Savior. And so when you come to Jesus Christ and say, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, there is no other Savior. There is no other way. You can say, well, all the people in the other part of the world, they got their way, we got our way. Not if you believe what Jesus said. He didn't say, there's a lot of ways to God, I'm one for you. He said, I'm the only way to God. And so just as there was the door in the side of the ark to, to everybody, all the animals and the things could come on, there's only one way of salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. It said there's three decks. You shall make it with a lower deck, second deck, third deck. We talked about it last week. I think it was, I said 4.5 million cubic feet, you know, in that place. I mean, there's just a huge thing. And it's going to be for the cargo. It's going to be for the animals and food and everything else. If you notice back in verse 14 when it said, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms. The Hebrew word for rooms there is the word for nest. He literally says, you shall make the ark with nest in it. And the idea is there's going to be compartments. There's going to be places that these animals, that these animals would go, and that would be the place for the bears, and the bears place for this, and the place for this. They're going to have their nest, their place. People have asked all kind of questions like, how in the world could... Could they stay on this ark 377 days? And, and what about the animals? And wouldn't like some animals eat up the other animals? And what, I mean, how would this work? And how could he take care of all of this? Uh, you know, there's so many things. I think it was all supernatural. But at the same way, God could have put those animals on there and put a lot of them in a hibernation or something like that. I mean, he says there's going to be food for them and the animals. But uh, no telling how that worked. And, and, and you just... If God said, I put all those animals on that ark, and he did. And if it said they were on there 377 days, they were. And that's what it says. And sometimes people say, well, that couldn't have happened. Let me tell you, God can do anything. He can do anything. If, if he can take a man by the name of Jonah and be thrown in the ocean, and Jonah was drowned. A lot of people think that Jonah got thrown in the ocean and a big fish came and swallowed him. 
And then he was praying, oh, God, get me out of this fish. Get me out of this fish. And so God let the fish throw him up. A lot of people think that's the story. That's not the story. The book of Jonah is that Jonah was thrown in the water and he was drowning. And the fish saved his life because the fish swallowed him. And the prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is him praying from the belly of the fish, thanking God for the fish saving his life. And then the fish threw him up. And let me tell you, if God can use a fish to save a drowning man and keep that man three days, three nights in that fish and then throw him up, he can do anything he chooses to do. He can create anything. He can make He can make the animals all come. He can make them live on an ark for 377 days. He can do anything because our God is a great God, and whatever he says is true. Well, you shall make, verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark, finish it, a cubit from the top, set the door in it. You shall make the lower, the second, and the third deck. So it's going to be this huge thing. Now, this is... Now he gets very specific, and look what he says in verse 17. Behold I, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven everything that is on the earth shall perish. Now he uses some really unique words in this passage, and that's why I just wanted to bring it up for you. He says, Behold I am bringing the flood of water. This word flood is marbul in Hebrew. It's only used here, and it's only used one time in, in Psalms, but the Psalms is talking about the flood. So this word is used for this catastrophic flood. It really says this destruction of water upon the earth. In the New Testament, when it's referring to the flood of Noah, there's a Greek word that's only used. There, there's, a, there's a number of Greek words for flood, for water and flood. There's some Hebrew words for fl- water and flood, but... The only time, whenever it's talking about Noah's flood, it's the word marble. And in the New Testament, whenever it's talking about Noah's flood, it's the Greek word kataklusme. We get cataclysmic, something big, something happening big. And so those, so it's, this is a unique thing. It wasn't a local flood. I have people say, well, what happened was this. See, there was Noah and these people, and they lived in a valley, and the people were bad. And so God said, I'm going to judge the world. And what he did was he flooded the whole valley and killed everybody in the valley except Noah, and they were on the ship, and that's what it was. It was not a local flood. It was a flood over the whole world. We're going to see it as we study on into chapter 7. It was a flood that destroyed and covered the entire world, in fact, covered above all the mountains. In fact, in verse 20 of chapter 7 says, The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and all the mountains were covered. So it wasn't a local flood. It was a flood over the whole world. And this word marble means a destruction of water. It's the only place in the Old Testament that is used to describe Noah's flood. Anytime else it talks about some other flood, it's not the same word. God states he will destroy the world by flood. But always in the midst of judgment, always in the midst of destruction, there's grace. And look what he says. Verse 18, but. See the contrast? I'm going to destroy everything that is on the earth shall perish, but. Verse 18, but. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. How many people is going to get on that ark? Eight people. That's it. Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives. So that's eight people. Eight people are going to get on the ark. Now, let me say this. It didn't mean only eight people were ever allowed to get on the ark. 
Only eight people are going to get on the ark. Noah is going to build this ark. It's going to take a long time to build it. He's called a preacher of righteousness. He preached for over 120 years. We're going to see that he, it probably took over 100 years to build the ark. And so for those 100 years, he was known as a preacher of righteousness, proclaiming, proclaiming the message. And how many people believed that message and got on the ark with them? Best we can tell, not a single person. And so he says, I'm going to make my covenant with you, and you're going to, you'll enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God in his grace makes an agreement. He gives him a way of escape, and that's God's covenant, God's agreement with him. That's verse 18. God will give him the way of escape. You shall enter the ark, you and your family. Now, uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 20, it says God saved those eight souls. It talked about the eight people that were delivered. Let me read something to you. I'm going to tell you what the covenant was. Okay? After they got off of the ark, this is when God gave him the instructions of the covenant. Listen to this. We'll get to this later, and we'll get a lot more details when we get over to chapter 9. But here's what this is. After they come off the ark, here's what it says. God said to Noah, God spoke to Noah and said, and to his sons and said, Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you, and we're descendants after you. Now, this is the covenant that he promised him. And this covenant is with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the beasts of the earth that are with you, all that comes out of the ark, every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh, here's part of it, all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He says, my first part of my covenant and my agreement with you is, never again will I destroy all flesh with a flood. Never again. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. What's going to be the sign of the covenant? I will set my bow in the cloud, and it will be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. What bow? What are we talking about? Rainbow. God says, I'm putting this rainbow in the sky. That's the sign of the covenant. Now, we think... That means that when it starts raining and we go, oh, no, we look up and we'll see a rainbow and we go, there's the rainbow. I remember God made the covenant with mankind. He's not going to destroy us by flood. Well, that's true that we see the rainbow and remember that. But notice what it says. Uh, well, you don't have to. I, I'm, I'm just reading it to you. He says this. I'll set my bow in the clouds. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I, this is God speaking, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I, God is speaking, I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and and all flesh is on the earth. Now, technically speaking, the bow is for God. That when he brings the flood, he puts the bow and he goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, I promised I would never do that. Now we know God doesn't need to be reminded of anything. And in reality, that bow is for us as well. And every time you see a rainbow, you should say, you know, one thing about it, I know this. There'll never be a flood to destroy the earth again. Not destroy all the earth. There, there may be local floods and there have been local floods. But there's never going to be a flood that will destroy the whole earth. In fact, when God decides to destroy the earth the next time, how is he going to do that? Because he will destroy. He'll make a new heavens and a new earth. How will he destroy this earth? By fire. He's going to burn it all up. 
going to burn it all up. Back again in in chapter 6 when he says, I will establish my covenant. The the Hebrew word for covenant is berit, which means to cut. It means to cut something. In that day when they made a covenant, if two people are going to make an agreement, and they said, we got to make an agreement, and, and they didn't pull out a piece of paper and sign, you sign, I'll sign, we made the agreement. What they would do is they'd take an animal, and they would cut the animal in two, in two halves, and then the two people would lock arms, and they would walk between the two animals. That was the picture of signing the agreement. They were cutting a covenant. That's what barret means, to cut. And so God says, I'm going to cut this covenant with you. I'm going to establish this covenant. We saw it later on. It happens with Abraham. God makes an agreement with Abraham that he's going to do all the things, the land, the seed, the blessing. And he calls Abraham to go sit down under a tree. And Abraham sits down under a tree and he falls into sleep and then he wakes up. And he'd already told Abraham to cut, us, cut these animals apart. And God comes and goes in between. In a flaming fire, he goes in between the animals. Not Abraham with him because it's an unconditional covenant. God's going to do it all. Abraham just gets to watch. This flaming fire goes through those animals. And God signs the covenant for Abraham and says, I'm doing this for you. God says the same thing here. I'm going to establish my covenant with you. You shall enter the ark. You and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. That's the covenant. It's the agreement. Now, as we think about this... Two things stand out. God commanded, and Noah believed and obeyed. He he made the ark. And what did he do when time came? He got into the ark. We're going to see that it, later on when God goes to Abraham and build, breaks the covenant with him, and he promised him the land, the seed, and the blessing. All, ultimately, it all fulfills in Jesus Christ as the, the mediator of the new covenant. So God deals those things. Now, besides the people... Which is Abraham, excuse me, which is Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. They're going to be the animals as well. Verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark. Well, notice, to keep them alive with you. Now, notice it says, you shall bring two. And so you think, oh my, how's he going to get that? They shall be male and female. Now, he's going to bring two of every living kind. Now, he's actually going to bring more than two of every living kind. Go down to chapter 7. Look at verse 2. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Now, a clean animal were animals that they used for sacrifices. You had to have more than two if you're going to use some of them for sacrifices because sacrifices were a picture of worship. And so he said, when you go on the ark, you take two of every kind of animal, but the clean animals, which are some of the animals we're going to sacrifice, you're going to have to have seven because if you only have two and you kill one, you go, whoops, won't be any skunks. You know, I, I, I won't be any of these. But he said, bring seven because they're clean animals, therefore the sacrifices. And then he said also in verse 3 of chapter 7, also the birds of the sky be seven and male and female to keep the offspring alive on the face of the earth. So if you, if you look at it, of, of all the animals, they're going to bring two and then some certain ones, the clean ones for sacrifices, they'll bring more than that. What's the purpose? Why bring these animals on there? Verse 20, at the very end, Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. The ark is a place of refuge, not only for Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, but for all the animals, because he's going to preserve life on the earth. 
The ark is a place of salvation. That's what it really is. It's really a picture of Jesus Christ. Think about this. It's a picture of Christ because there's only one way into the ark. That is the place of safety and it's the grace of God that he said, I'm going to do this for you. And that's the same for us. When we think about Christ, go ahead to the next slide. Christ is the only way. It's it's the same way for us. There's only one way in. That's Jesus Christ. He brings safety and salvation based on the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The world is looking for salvation. It is so amazing. I talked with some of the guys about this, and it's amazing how many people say, I, I, you know, I, I, I want to live forever. I want to be with God. I want to, but so what do I have to do? I'll have to try to be good, or I have to try to get baptized, or I go to a church, or I give money, or I, I do this and this and this and this. They're all, people are looking for some way to somehow get to God. It's called religion. It's where man tries to please God. But religion is not the way to God. The way to God is through the provision that God has already given. I always say that religion is man trying to please God, and Christianity is God pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Bruce Stillman writes this. He says, you know, I'm sick of ideals. What I'm looking for is a Savior. Not somebody who will tell me what i got to do and what I ought to be, but someone who will save me. Sometimes in membership training, I'll ask people, I'll say this, we'll talk about Jesus and salvation. I'll say, do we trust in Jesus Christ to keep from going to hell? And people are sometimes afraid to say, yes. It sounds, it doesn't sound spiritual enough. You you want to say, oh, no, no, I trusted Christ for so many other things. I say, you were dead in sin. You didn't know anything. You trusted Jesus Christ as your what? Savior to save you from? Hell, the separation from... That's what he is. He's a savior. He saves you. Now, there's much more to it. When you believe in Jesus Christ as savior, not only does he keep you from going to the lake of fire and be separated forever, but he's made you a child of God and he has a whole plan and purpose for your life and for you to live righteously and godly and all that. But when you trusted in him, you trusted in him as your savior. And this is what the whole world needs. I was talking to some people the other day, and we, we were, this whole issue about, uh, I think the book Unchristian, I don't even know who was talking to me about it, but there's a book called Unchristian, and it talks about how the non-Christian looks at Christians, and they see it, about 80 to 90% of the non-Christians look at Christians in a negative light, and they think that the Christians are mad, and the Christians are always against this, and always against this, and one of the things that I say is, listen, we need to be known not for what we're against, but for the grace message of salvation, what we got, we got the good news message. We ought to be known for proclaiming a good news message, not what we hate. Yeah, they hate this, and they hate this, and they hate this, and they hate this. No, 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 no. We're not here to hate anything. We are here to proclaim to a fallen world the good news message of salvation. We ought, we got to be known for that. Everybody wants you to sign this and do this and be against this and march against this. And what we really need to do is be standing for the grace message of salvation, proclaiming the truth to a lost world that doesn't have a clue. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only place of escape. And the question last time is, how could Noah get all these animals on that ark? How could he do it? I mean, well, look, of the birds, verse 20, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing after its kind, uh, a creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind, now watch, will come to you to keep them alive. They know to come. 
you know, there are animals today that they have that instinct of where to go and where to fly to, and they and, and some come back to the same place every year, or they, they know when it's time to leave and to fly south or fly north or fly this or do this or travel this way or go hibernate or do this, and they say, how do those animals know all that? That's instinctive. Well, God put in some of these animals to come to Noah to get on that ark. He said, they will come to you. I remember before I ever studied the Bible, before I ever really got into it, when I first after trusted Christ, and I was trying to think about the book of Genesis, and I'd always heard about Noah and the ark, and I kept thinking, how in the world could this guy get all those animals? I mean, how are you going to go find them and, and, and like lasso them and bring them in, and you got finally got two giraffes, and now i got to get two bears, and i got to get two opossums, and i got to get all these different things. How am I going to get all those things and get them and keep them? Because what if I get them on and they come running off? I'm going to have to keep the door shut. I mean, how am I going to do this? How long is it going to take me? It wasn't that way at all. I think he looks up, and they're coming. And he just gets, come right on up, come right on up. Come around, around. That's what it says, didn't it? They will come to you. It would be impossible for Noah to go round them all up. God will bring the animals to Noah. The great animal migration to Noah. Well, verse 21 says, As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. So it implies that some of the animals are going to eat. I read some studies that said, well, what it was is they, they got on the ark. They had food for all the animals to eat. They all then hibernated. And then after the 377 days when they got ready to go off, they took the rest of the food. They all ate, and then they went off. I don't know about that. I don't know whether it was food for them for the 377 days, whether most of them hibernated, whether they ate a little food along the way. It doesn't tell us. It does say get food for you and for them. What was Noah's response? And I think this is the key to the whole thing. Thus, verse 22, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah's response was to obey God. God commanded Noah, he obeyed. That is the key. How did he respond? Look, look at this. I want to show you this. The very end of chapter 6 says, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. Whatever God commanded him to do, he did. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. Look at verse 9. There went in the ark to, uh, went in the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Verse 16 of chapter 7. Those entered, male and female of all the all flesh entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it for him. It was what God commanded happened. What God told him to do, Noah did. Obedience. He heard it. He believed it. He obeyed it. That's the key. He heard what God said. He believed what God said. He obeyed what God said. That should be our response. Think about it. We hear the Word of God. How do we hear it? We read it. We study it. We hear it taught. We get into it. We dig it. We read it. We hear it. We believe the Word. It is true. It is the basis for our lives. We say this is accurate and true. This is what it says. You make the interpretation. You understand it. And then you obey it. You apply it and you live it out. That's the key in our lives. And I've told you over and over that people, you know, I used to hear Prof. Hendricks say, what is the purpose of the study of the Word of God? And most people would immediately shout out to know the Bible. 
He says, no, it's not. The purpose of the study of the Word of God is to make application of what you know. You study it so you can apply it because we don't study it just to have information. We have to study it to live it out. Now, realize at this time, best we can tell, it never rained. In fact, it talks about how that, that uh, the, the mist would come up at night and water the earth. So when Noah began to shout out and preach for 120 years while they're building the big ship, while they're building the big barge, you can see Noah building it, people coming up and say, what are you doing? He's, I'm building a big ship, a big barge. We're gonna, what, what for? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flood. The whole world's going to flood. That water's going to come everywhere. It's going to rain down. And, and um, we're trying to get, you know, if you want to get on this thing, we get on it. And they said, yeah. Where's this water going to come from? I'm really not sure. But I'm thinking probably up there and maybe down there. I don't know. I don't know where else it could come from. Where did it come from, by the way? It came from up there and down there. That's exactly right. Listen to this. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith. Now listen to that. That's the key. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. That's what a lot of people call the chapter. Almost every verse starts with by faith because it's saying by faith, taking God at His word, these people did these things. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. What thing hadn't been seen yet? The rain and the flood. He said, a flood is coming, a rain is coming, it's going to flood the whole earth. Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence. In worship of God, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Now this is what it says. By faith Noah, being warned, he prepared the ark for the salvation of his household. It goes on to say, by which he condemned the world. He condemned the world because he believed God and they didn't. He proclaimed for 120 years. That's the best that we can see. From Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, it talked about 120 years. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 5, he was a preacher of righteousness and so he proclaimed a message as he built that ark for 120 years, telling people, get on the ark, the flood is coming. And he condemned them when he believed the message and they didn't. He became an heir of righteousness, which means he became a righteous person, an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith he warned, he prepared, he built, he condemned because he trusted God. It's powerful. Genesis 6 verse 3 Says God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. People get confused on that verse. We taught it about two weeks ago. It doesn't mean that man's only going to live to be 120 years because they live much longer than that. I think it meant that he had, from that time that he got ready to judge, he, he was 120 years before the judgment came. I think that's how long it probably took Noah to build the ark and do this. Can you imagine, what would people say to Noah? What would they say to him as they see him doing this? You are a what? You idiot! You're crazy. What do you think you're doing? I'm, I'm building a I'm building a big barge, and we're gonna get all the animals, and we're gonna put them on there, and we're gonna stay on there. You can come too, because there's a flood coming. It's gonna drown everybody. And they went, "You're you're absolutely. You've lost your mind. There is no such thing. There is no such thing." They laughed at him. See, whenever we live by the word of God, sometimes people will make fun of us. When you say something like, "I believe God created the heavens and the earth." And they go, you're an idiot. And you say, well, I believe that in six days God created the heavens and the earth. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. When you say that it's better. In fact, I have a friend. I, I, I'm not going to say his name. I had a friend that waited. Young guy. 
was when came to Countryside College all the way through. I ended up doing his wedding later on. He, he was about two years out of college before he got married. But he made a decision when he went off to college, a decision he had made all of his life. Basically, he said, I will not have any sexual relations till I'm married. That's going to be my plan. That's my dream. And when he was in college, guys knew about it. He lived in the dorm. And he told people, and people say, well, what about this? He said, well, I'm not going to ever have sexual relations until I'm married. And they laughed at him. They made fun of him. And I remember I got to do his wedding. And what a what a great time it was for him and her and coming together and, and getting married and just very special time. But the world would laugh and say, what's wrong with you? God says, no, that's the way it works. They laughed at Noah, and they said, you have lost your mind. And he said, no, no, this is what God's Word says. Sometimes people say, you going to believe this? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do believe this. Noah obeyed the Word of the, God, of the Lord. The ways of God are sometimes foolish to the world. Sometimes they are. May we obey the Word of God in our lives. Let, what have we seen? We've seen Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God gave him instructions on how big the ark and the boat was going to be in the, the barge. And so Noah believed God, and he built the ark and would do it. He, God would bring the animals to Noah, and Noah obeyed the Word of the Lord. So let, let me give you a couple applications. And uh, first application is God has a way of escape from judgment. He does. For Noah, it was the ark. It was the way of escape. For us, it is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through us, uh, except through him. He is the one for us that that is the redeemer for us he is all of sin and come short of the glory of god we owe god death but jesus took our place he's the way of escape that's all it is he's the savior charles wesley said we must reject all confidence in ourselves and totally trust on jesus christ that's true we trust Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. My prayer, and I know almost every one of you in this room, but if there's anyone in this room who up to this point in your life, you've thought somehow something I can do to be able to go to heaven, do something, I want you to understand you can't do a thing. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin and death, the righteousness of man's filthy rags. There's nothing we can do. Jesus is the only Savior, and it's not what you do. It is simply trusting in him and him alone. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ and you have eternal life. It's that simple. So trust him. But the second thing is that we do is we need to proclaim to others salvation by faith in Christ. It's the only way of escape. There are people in this community. There are thousands of people in this community that do not understand the way of salvation. There are people that you can talk to and you could ask them the question, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And many of them will say yes. And then you say to them, what's the basis? Why? Look at the answers they tell you. They'll say, well, because I've tried to live a good life. I tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I did this. I've done this. I've... It is amazing how few people understand the grace message of salvation and the truth there. So proclaim it. Melanchthon, who lived the same time as Luther, said, God offered to me. He offered to me without merit forgiveness of sins and grace and salvation all through Jesus Christ. So let's proclaim it. The second one is simple. Let, when I say simple, it's simple to, to understand. Let's obey the word of God. Noah heard the word of God, he obeyed it. We have God's word, we're to obey it. We must know it and apply it. The word of God in our lives. We are to do what? We are to hear it. That's how we study it and, and you know all that. Then to believe it. Make it the basis of our lives. Understand it and then finally obey it. Apply it in our lives. That's the key. May we live by God's word, proclaiming to others God's way of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone.
There's so much. Next time, uh, well, it won't be next week because we got the big slide thing. Maybe, well, who knows what that's going to look like. It may look like an ark. Who knows? But anyway, uh, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. We'll get into chapter 7 where they get on the ark and we see them shut the door and we see the, the exact number of years. It starts in the 600th year of Noah's life and we'll see how long they're on that and those kind of things. Let's pray. Well, if you've got any questions or comments, we'll deal with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for these truths. And Lord, as we think about Noah and the ark and his obedience, and Lord, I think the secret and the key to this whole thing is that Noah obeyed you. And Lord, I pray in my life and our lives of all the ones in this room that will obey you. First of all, we realize that there's only one way of salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that everyone is trusted in him and him alone for salvation. Lord, we know that we get the privilege and responsibility as we scatter out in this community to proclaim that message. But Lord, we know that day in and day out, moment by moment, you have given us your written revelation, the inspired word of God. And that we're to hear it and believe it and obey it. And so, Lord, I pray that we do that, that we'll live our lives in obedience to your word. Just as Noah obeyed you, that we would obey and live for you and bring honor and glory to our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.